Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Bria Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And here with me today are the Mented Cosmetics co-founders, Amanda Johnson. Hi, Amanda. Hi, how are you? Good. And KJ Miller. KJ, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us. So, um, guys, obviously, it's been a whirlwind of events the last three months, and especially uh, the last two weeks or week and a half. So, first of all, how are you guys doing? What's it like uh, been, what's it, what's it been like in this uh, new normal, especially running a business as two black founders? Yeah, well, you know, new normal is a weird phrase because I, I don't really feel like we've, we've landed on a new normal quite yet um, because the situation just keeps evolving. I mean, obviously with the start of the pandemic, everything changed. Um, We are no longer working out of our office. Our entire team is 100% remote, and we've actually made the decision to carry that out for the rest of 2020. So running a business remotely when you and your team are used to being together every single day is a big change. We also, you know, you mentioned we're both Black founders. Most of our team is Black, and this pandemic has hit the African-American community harder than any other. And so we are watching with the you know front row seats really um, watching this devastation unfold and still having to keep it together as as founders um, and then of course over these last few weeks we've seen the fights and protests for or uh, against racial injustice and for social equality um, again we've had front row seats as two black women um, and so it's hard to feel like there is a new normal you know I think What Amanda and I have going for us is that we are truly friends first, and so we support each other as friends. Um, But as businesswomen, we also are always looking for ways to support one another and to support our team. So I don't know, I guess it's a really long-winded answer, and I didn't actually get to the point of how we're doing. I mean, we are here. We are surviving. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's, That's how I'm feeling. How are you feeling, Amanda? No, I think you hit it on the head. I think it is the perfect storm of so many things happening at once. It's hard to kind of really put a fine pin on any one emotion. And so I think we kind of just still riding the roller coaster as we do every day in just the entrepreneurship world. But now with everything happening socially, just kind of floating between I think I'm okay to, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed to sometimes I'm really just underwhelmed by everything. And just that roller coaster is exhausting for us, for our team, um, but we're making it. I mean, I think the thing that continues to uh, brighten the day, continues to like p- keep pushing us forward is obviously our families and obviously our passion for the thing we're building, but also our customers. I mean, we have had some of the most heartfelt emails and, and social comments over the last couple of months and weeks, whether it was about COVID or it was about social injustice, just encouraging us to keep going, to keep fighting that that our company matters, that what, what we're doing is important. And um, sometimes just that one message is the thing that can keep you going in what is an incredibly difficult day. So something you guys just brought up is obviously how intertwined both the personal aspect of this is and with the business aspect. I mean, is it even, are you even able to differentiate the two right now? Because obviously, you know, you're feeling things as a a human being and then you're feeling the ramifications of that through your business. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know that Amanda and I make that great of an effort to differentiate. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure other people could and do. 
But, you know, I think for the two of us, because we're such good friends, you know, and we want to make sure that we as people are taken care of first, that's always going to be our primary concern. So when we have calls, like, yes, there is a business reason for the call, but very rarely, if it's just a call between me and Amanda, do we start off being like, okay, so let's run the numbers. You know, we always are starting the call with, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? And sometimes that part of the conversation might take up a full hour and that's okay. Neither one of us is like, um, let's get to the numbers now. You know, like I just, <laughs> I, I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful yeah. because I know we've both worked in other corporate jobs where no one is taking the time out to ask you how you're really doing. They might be doing it in like a perfunctory way because they feel like they should ask, but they certainly are not about to give you an hour to, to unload, you know? And yeah. the fact that we are able to do that with one another, I don't take it for granted. And I, yeah, I don't really try to differentiate between like, is this personal or is this business? You know, we're two people. Business is people. So that's how I think about it. Yeah. How does that extend to your, your coworkers and your staff? Because I'm sure a lot of them have not had bosses or CEOs and co-founders speak to them that way. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I think, you know, we keep trying to find the silver lining and everything that's happening. And one thing that we have identified that is very much like a blessing to both of us is that we get to create this company our way and give people the opportunity that, as KJ said, we didn't have in other companies. So at Minted, we say you can bring your full self to work. And we truly mean that. That's your your thoughts, your feelings, your culture, your style. I don't care what your nail color is or your hair color is or what's your grandma's name. Like, bring it all. <laughs> like, we're going to find a way to use all of that energy. And I think um, it has definitely made us a better brand. It has given us more perspective, but we can't ignore that when things are difficult as well. So, you know, when COVID first hit, we were also very mindful, like these aren't just co-workers where they're like one out of a million, you know, we're small business. We personally hired each one of these people, you know, they mean something to us as we grew the business and grew the team. And so we are constantly checking in with them. We're trying to find fun activities that we can do once a month to still engage everyone and remind everybody that we're still in it. We're, we still have a lot to celebrate. There's still a lot of great things going on. Um, for the month of June, we've implemented Friday mental health days. So you can take the time. I think we're just trying to be thoughtful that as the world sometimes feels like it's on fire, (laughs) it's still filled with people and we need to think about them holistically and and in in these times kind of gently. So go back to that a little bit, um, Amanda, you know, obviously thinking about people holistically, that was kind of the way you started this business. Will you talk about the origins of this business? And because at the time, you know, Shade inclusivity, shade diversity was very much something on the fringes of the beauty industry than where it is today. Yeah, beauty and diversity has, um, or rather diversity and beauty has always been a trend. Like sometimes it's really up, sometimes it's really down. It depends on what models are on the runway, what's chic in a season. But the reality is people of color have always been around. Black people have always been around. We 
in and of itself, our existence is not a trend. And so when KJ and I decided to start a business, we, we definitely knew we wanted to work together coming out of business school, but we didn't have the idea yet. And so we graduated, we moved to New York with our full-time jobs, and we would meet periodically to talk through business ideas, things that excited us, things that didn't excite us. Um, it all kind of got spoken about over the line <laughs> at KJ's apartment. And shout out to Kadar, her husband, who put up with all of these many, many meetings <laughs> over months and months and months. Um, and uh, one night we were just talking about life hacks, which led to beauty hacks. And I said something like, I've been trying to find the perfect nude lipstick for like three years. And she was like, oh my God, me too. And Katie's very like energetic. And so it was just this whole moment where we connected on this like shared experience of feeling other feeling left out, feeling like an afterthought in this global billion dollar beauty industry where, you know, we had an interest. This is something we wear every day. We had to participate in, but we felt like our dollars didn't really matter. Our participation didn't really matter. And so since this was our problem, we were going to come up with the solution. So Minted is a solution and we firmly believe that everyone should be able to find themselves in the world of beauty. And that is the business we sought to create. KJ, when you think about that time, you know, obviously it wasn't just speaking to a Black customer. It was, of course, but it was also other women of color who had been marginalized. It was the shade range amongst lipstick, foundation, cheek, all of the above. It was a whole swath of women to speak to. So how did you kind of start um, forming the seeds of what that would look like? Yeah. Um, I think we, we started with ourselves, you know, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs do because you know yourself well. And so we asked ourselves what was missing for us. And, and then we expanded from there and we brought in, you know, women who were um, deeper skin toned than we were, people who were lighter skin toned than we were, people who had warmer undertones, cooler undertones, um, so that we could make sure that we were including them and taking care of their challenges and, and, and problems as well. But we started with ourselves. And even that, I think, was was pretty radical because there are so many beauty brands that really start with one sort of archetype of beauty, typically pale, typically pink lipped, <laughs> right? And 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 make products for her and then decide, okay, well, let me work my way up and do a little bit darker and do a little bit lighter, but like she's the prototype. And um, so I think the fact that Amanda and I started with ourselves was very radical in a lot of ways because we said, actually, we're the prototype. And, and so, and then we brought in other women of color and said, and you too are the prototype. So, um, I, I think for us, it was about always answering the question, what's missing in beauty? Um, who isn't being centered? Who isn't being given a voice? How do we give that person a voice? How do we include them in this collection? Um, that was always sort of our guiding light. And, you know, we have now many, many customers who are not women of color, many, many Caucasian customers and who love our products. But I think we had to start with the focus because, you know, I firmly believe if you try to do everything well, you end up doing nothing well, right? Like no one can do it all. And so the Caucasian women who love our products love how pigmented they are, love that they do work across so many different skin tones, love that there's a message and um, an authentic uh, message behind it. You know, those are the things they love. And those are the things that our women of color customers love as well. 
Do you remember what it was like to start pitching this concept to, you know, whether it be retailers or investors? Um, what was the response that you were met with at the time? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it varied. It varied. I mean, pitching to investors. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk about the investor piece and, and Amanda can speak to the retail piece. Um you know, pitching to investors was certainly an uphill battle. And I think that's true for just about everybody who pitches to investors. They're not the easiest group of folks to please. But um, certainly when you're talking about a product that almost none of them have any experience with, um, and you're talking about founders that don't look like the founders who typically sit across the desk from them, you know, that was an uphill battle. And, you know, one of the things we focused on and I always tried to focus on in the decks that I would create is the the numbers, right? Because money talks. And so maybe you don't understand why it's important that I have a lipstick that works for my skin tone, but you can understand that Black women outspend their non-Black counterparts by 80% on their beauty products, right? And you can understand that my dollar is just as green. So I'm unsatisfied, but I've got plenty of money to spend and I and I'm spending more of it on this product. So whether you understand the the lipstick or not, you get that there's opportunity there. And so we would always try to lead with that. Um, and the smart investors got it. And they are now investors in a really successful brand. And the other investors didn't. And that's on them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's very crucial for early stage investors? Because at the beginning, you're just you're selling founders, you're selling an idea, you're not selling, you're not scaling up. So for them to get that at the beginning, I mean, do you think that was so important, the money piece of it and speaking to those numbers? I do think it was really important. Um, and, you know, I also think they always say when you're when you're early stage um, investing, you're really investing in the people. And to a large extent, that's true. I mean, they were making a bet on me and Amanda. So, yes, the numbers are important. But that fact about Black women outspending on, on, on beauty, that's true whether I pitch it, whether someone else pitches it, whether you pitch it, like, that's actually just a fact. And so what you need when you get beyond the numbers is like, okay, well, there is an opportunity here. Are you two the right people to solve it? And I think Amanda and I worked really hard to to convince people that we were, in fact, the right people to solve this problem because ultimately they were investing in us as people. Amanda, what about the retail piece? Because obviously yeah. Minton has had some great relationships, but you've really focused on digital. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because we thought like very, very early on in the conception of the idea that we would be in retail much earlier. But I think once we really got in the process of building the brand, seeing what's out there and realizing how how we wanted to build a brand on our own terms, we very much put retail on the backseat, like in the back burner, because there's so much pressure and so much influence that retailers have on your brand as you're building that a lot of founders feel like it's not really their brand, that it mainly is owned by like their major retailer. And we didn't want that because we saw, you know, how that affected other brands and affected their product development. And first and foremost for us was building the products that everyone else didn't think mattered, but that we knew mattered. And so we needed to take control. And so we focused on being D to C uh, for the first three years of the company on purpose. It wasn't that we didn't have retail offers. In fact, we were saying no to retailers, which is an interesting thing to explain to your uh, investor, but we were staunch about it. And, and we know that has proven successful. And so now that we've opened 
um, ourselves up to some retailers, some select retailers. Uh, you know, it's been interesting. Those conversations have been interesting because some retailers really get it. You know, they say, this is the thing that's missing. This is the thing my customers are asking for. And we know Minted is going to come in and do it in a way that no one else has. And like, we're excited by that opportunity. And then there are some retailers who say, okay, I think I get what you're trying to do, but we know this thing over here really sells and works well. And so if we can still just mold you and shape you into this other brand, then we'll bring you on shelf. And for all of the retailers who have said that, good luck because you've missed out on a great brand yeah. <laughs> because we told them no. Like that is not what Minted is. That's not what we're about. And and we're holding the line on that. And I think um, what we are seeing and what we're proving with the retail partners that we have is that we can do retail the minted way and we can really, really win and we can be really great at it. And so again, I think it's just like investors, like for those of you who got on board and saw the vision, good for you. Cause now you're attached to a, an amazing fast growing brand. And for all of those retailers who didn't get it and wanted us to be somebody else, well, they're going to be left behind. You know, some of your partnerships were not, I mean, I think for people in the industry, they got it, you know, like the HSNs of the world. And I know that they have huge power, like with, you know, millions and millions of Americans, multicultural or not, but they're not necessarily traditional routes to retail. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like why that was right for you or why you felt they were a partner that you could lead on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we launched in retail, we actually launched in both Macy's and HSN. So a more traditional retailer where everyone knows that Macy's has beauty and they have all of the beauty. Uh, we launched in Macy's Herald Square, um, but then we also launched on HSN. And I think what we were thinking about is the vast and varied customer base that we have. Um, we are a multi-generational brand. So whether you are 24 or you are 65, there is something that you love about Minted because everyday beauty is timeless and it works with every generation. Um, and to KJ's point about pigmentation, because our products just work and they just work across a ton of different skin tones, undertones, ethnicities, there is a broad audience who does enjoy Minted. And so when we were thinking about our retail opportunities, we were really thinking about partners that could hit different pockets of our customer base. So Macy's hit a more traditional women of woman of color, 30s to older uh, customer base. HSN hit a very much more um, broad, including like white audience base, but broad in terms of um, generations, but mainly on the older side, uh, our more seasoned customers. And then this fall, we haven't officially announced it yet, but this fall we're launching in another retailer. You guys want to tell me who? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. We're bound by contract. <laughs> Uh, but another retailer that is going to hit another pocket. And I think they're going to be really good at uh, women of color. They're going to be really good at um, different income levels. They're going to be really good in terms of convenience. And so it's going to hit another pocket of our base. And so we just think that you know, the world of retail isn't the traditional stodgy way it used to be. I think there's a lot of ways to reach customers. And we're going to go where our customer is. So, you know, that also extends to the way that customers feel about their brands. Like, obviously, they want to have the convenience to shop where they shop based on, like, loyalty or a points program or, you know, curbside pickup. But it also extends to company value. So right now, when we're in this time, a very heated time on the backdrop of a pandemic, how has that kind of played out with your audience? Because I know that there's been a lot of 
performative actions by other brands or performative allyship and advocacy. And it's not like, I think this is a time where you really need to practice what you preach. So how are you guys approaching that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think this gets back to the fact that we are people, you know, and 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 <laughs> real people going through exactly what everyone else is going through in this moment, wanting to fight, wanting to use our voices to do something good, wanting to be a part of the solution and not the problem. That's just all real for me and Amanda and, and the people on our team. Yes, we're a company, right? So the way we go about it as a company might look a little bit different than the way we go about it as just our, our, our individual selves, but the goal is still the same. So I think it was really important for us to make sure that that came through, the humanity of this moment came through. So when we released our statement, we, we released a letter from me and Amanda that we sent to our customers. And then we also posted on our social channels. Um, it really was from the lens of like, look, this is a really difficult time. And right now, one of the hardest things to do is to post about lipstick. And we're a company that sells lipstick, you know, but like, that isn't the focus right now. Like right now, we all just watched a video of a man begging for his life for nine minutes while being choked by a police officer. Do you think any of us woke up the next morning and said to ourselves, let's sell a lipstick? Like, of course not. And so we were honest about that in the letter and honest about the fact that, yes, we do still have a business to run. We have a fiduciary duty to our shareholders and our employees to run this business, but we're not going to run it as business as usual. So we are donating proceeds to bailout protesters across the country. We are donating a masterclass. I'm donating an hour of my time, a course that I've put together, a paid course that I've put together for anyone who wants to take it on how to build an e-commerce company, because I want more people who look like me, who look like Amanda to be able to do this, you know, and that's something that we as a team decided to do. We also, like Amanda said earlier, are giving our team every Friday off this month so they can have the time and the space to just think, you know, and reflect or rest, recover, whatever it is they need to do with that time. Um, And all of that, we came from it from a place of humanity because we're people first. Yes, we run this business and it's important, but it's more important to us that as people, we can all sort of like look in the mirror and say, I'm doing my part. You know, I didn't just sit down during this moment in history and like say, let the chips fall where they may, you know, none of us wants to be that person. And certainly as two business owners, that's not what we want people to think about minted. So I think we just try to approach it as humanely as possible. And I think where I've certainly seen other companies fall short is when they're releasing statements, but all of their actions over the past however many years don't in any way show any sort of support for the Black community. So what does it even mean to say now you stand with the Black community, right? Like, like literally, what does it mean when I can point to many, many, many examples of you not standing with us as a community? But when we say it, you can point to the fact that the vast majority of our employees are women of color. You can point to the fact that our board is 100% women. You can point to the fact that we spent all of the month of May, or I think it was the month of April, donating proceeds from a product to uh, 1 million masks in New York City, right? Because we want to make sure that healthcare workers have the PPE that they need. You can point to the fact that every day we're trying to make women of color feel a little bit more beautiful so they can you know, feel good about themselves doing the things that they're doing. So when we release a statement, no one's got to ask like, now, 
Really? You know, no one has to make that that sound. <laughs> but I think there are a lot of companies when they say, I stand with Black Lives Matter and I stand with the Black community, you have a whole lot of reason to pause because I, I, I can read and I can see that like, no, in fact, you have not stood with the Black community. So if you're going to say it, then you've also got to back it up with like, here's how I'm not only going to do that now, but also how I'm going to correct some of these wrongs that I know as a company we have implemented. And that's the piece that I feel like I haven't seen from a whole lot of companies. When you think about campaigns that are going right now, like with Sharon and Pull Up or Shut Up, and you know, you guys obviously released what the percentages of, of your workforce and, and the people that work with you. I mean, do you think that these kind of um, social media-led campaigns really hold hold water or will hold water in making um, companies be more accountable? I mean, I'm really trying to be optimistic in this time and find the silver lining because without that hope, like, what, what do what we, we have? And so, right, a part of me really hopes that uh, these types of campaigns hold people accountable, that customers become more educated for, about the brands they're shopping from. It's it's in your face. It's no longer hidden. So if you're voting with your dollars, then you know you're either voting for a company to win that you don't agree with, or you're voting for one that you do agree with, with, with your shopping dollars. So I think it will always come from the people, from the masses. So the more we can educate customers on um, on the brands they're shopping from and give them a peek behind the curtain, I think the more they'll be savvier and wiser going forward with who they shop from because otherwise these major companies have no incentive to change, right? Like if they lose nothing, then nothing will change. So hopefully it starts from the ground up and we're influencing our customers and um, Uoma and Beauty Bakery and Lip Bar and Bevel and all of the others can influence their customers. And then that will just make a greater, more educated customer base that will shop other places and start to um, demand more from those other companies. But I do think it will come from customers because these larger companies just have no other incentive to change. Yeah. Do you think that the customer is getting smarter? Because, you know, I think a lot of people are pointing to 2016 when Trump got elected and, you know, everybody was really fired up then and making donations and volunteering. And then maybe something slid the last couple of years. So here we are in a different moment, another, yeah. another pivotal point. Do you think that the customer will demand more from the brands that they, that they shop from? I mean, at least mm-hmm. from your, from your experience. Mm-hmm. For sure. But, you know, I would actually say, I don't know that I've seen this this slide that you're mentioning. If you look at the um, major cosmetics brands, if you look, and I'm talking about like the billion dollar companies, the conglomerates, if you look at the share of market that they have now versus five years ago, it is less and not by a little bit. And the only way that they've been able to grow is by acquiring smaller brands who have spoken in an authentic way to their audience. They they absolutely recognize that is their only source of growth. And so I think that that says consumers are smarter. We're continuing to get smarter. We're continuing to demand more from our brands. Um, and I think that's the exact reason why Minted has been so successful. You know, we launched in January 2017. So we launched right after Trump got elected. And so we've, you know, basically since he's been in office, we've been in office. And we <laughs> we have really seen our community support us. 
And we've been able to grow because I think our customer is demanding so much more from the companies where she's spending her dollars. So I'm actually quite optimistic. I don't know that it means, you know, there's always going to be a social media hashtag that everyone's jumping behind. But I do think generally, broadly, people have made that decision. People are voting with their dollars. We are a direct beneficiary of that. Um, And I think we will continue to be. You mentioned a second ago about a masterclass that you guys are doing. And I know that I think last time we talked, KJ, it was like over a thousand people (laughs) registered and were waitlisted. And it was a how to teach people how to start a business online. Mm -hmm. Tell me what that was about, because you said that you want to see more people like you start these kind of businesses. Yeah. So, you know, I before COVID started, before anything, I decided I wanted to um, build a course for people who are at the very beginning of wanting to start a business, because I've just talked to so many people like that. And Amanda has too. I mean, we get um, inbound emails from people every day, like wanting to learn. Um, And I just sort of felt like, you know, there's a better way to do this than just these like one-off 30-minute calls. Because what I found a lot of people were struggling with, now look, there are a lot of people who they'd have an idea to run a business. And then they like, they chase that idea because they're just like super A type and they've figured it out and they have the right network and all of these things. Fine. But then there are a whole lot of people who could be really great entrepreneurs, but like truly don't even know where to start. And that is because they don't have the network. They don't have the role models. You know, they don't, they don't have the manual, whatever else. And they can't go to, 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 to business school or they don't even know where to, where to start to apply. And so that's really the audience that in the very beginning when I was building this course, I was wanting to speak to. And it just so happened that like I put everything together and the course was ready to go when this moment happened. And when I was asking myself, well, what's something that I can do to give back? This is something I can do. I can put all these materials out there and teach this course for free. And so um, hopefully people get something out of it. But really, it's meant for people who are at the very beginning of maybe they've got an idea. Maybe they've even like sort of started working on the idea, but they feel like they're they're roadblocked because they're just not sure what to do next. Um, and so this course really takes you through how to go from the idea to refining the idea to testing demand for the idea to building out the prototype to launching your, you know, your soft launch to scaling to, you know, I mean, that's the, the, what the full course will do. And then the one hour that we've got together, will do a good chunk of that. Um, but really it is for people starting at, at the beginning. How do you think opportunities like that help contribute to like systemic change because that's what we all want here we want more of more voices in the room more different voices in the room so how do you think that that's helping contributing to do that um yeah well i i think i think it's a couple things the first is there's a certain amount of freedom that comes with running your own business there's a certain amount of financial freedom But more than that, I think there's um, a freedom to chart your own path. And I think a lot of people who look like us lack that. They can sort of very easily get caught and be sort of a cog in a wheel at whatever corporation. And then we also know the data shows it's much harder for us to reach those upper echelons, upper echelons of those corporations. So it'd be one thing if you thought, like, I've got a really clear path to become you know, a director, president, a VP, whatever at this corporation. But a lot of times 
that path is not so clear and not as available to us. So I think the freedom to chart your own path, um, be a leader, then bring other people up with you in terms of who you're hiring, who you're teaching, who you're mentoring is just something that is is so, so valuable. And I, and I just want more people of color to have access to that. Mm-hmm. Actually, this speaks to uh, kind of a question you posed earlier about the authenticity of brands to even be able to speak up and like, when do we speak up or not? And like, it's seeing some of the brands and what they've put out, you have to say to yourself, okay, you guys quickly thought of this and turned this around in 24 hours. But KJ has truly been talking about this masterclass for months. She's been working on it. She's taken other classes to learn how to make the best class. Like she's put so much effort and work into this. And so to be able to bring that to people even earlier than she planned, like those are the things, those are the moments in the startup journey where I say, one, I'm really thankful for my co-founder and I'm just so proud of her and like the, the, her gusto for this idea, like wanting to go after it and do even more, like we do so much in a day. So the idea that she has been adding this to her day and working on it and now can bring this to literally the thousand plus people on this, this wait list is really excited. But I think it is the DNA of Minted, you know? So not only are we doing stuff now in, in this time, we were doing uh, uh, raising money for 1 million masks back in April. Uh, years ago, we started this initiative within Minted um, called Moguls in the Making, where KJ and I went to local middle schools and high schools around Harlem and taught lessons about startup. Like we had a whole curriculum um, that we went into different schools and we did over the course of hours, um, helping kids just imagine and, and dream of more and that freedom that KJ was talking about. So it just really is true to who we are. And I think one of the things that we've been most passionate about in um, communities of color is influence and wealth. You know, if you can build a business and and bring people along with you and hire, uh, you know, hire people and, and create a kind of stature in, in your community and your society, like how much more could you do beyond your business if you had that type of influence? And then I think the other thing that is just the reality that people don't like to talk about is money and wealth. And we know in America that people that call the shots are those with real money, with real wealth. And one of the ways to build that Uh, without taking this very slow corporate ladder is to build a company. And so the more people that look like the three of us who are building companies, selling those companies, launching more companies, hiring more people, um, the better off we'll all be. What's your challenge to other companies in the space right now? Because obviously you guys are doing a few things, right? I would say more than a few things. (laughs) But what do you want to see change from your peers, whether it's in the beauty world or just in the larger business world? Um, it's a good question. Well, one thing, yeah, because I one thing I'll say is I, I love um I love this idea of supporting Black-owned business. Obviously, we are beneficiaries of that, but not every business can be a Black-owned business, right? So, like, that's okay. You know, I don't think I, I at least am not saying stop purchasing from non-Black-owned businesses, right. um, but. I think that every business in America, given that Black people make up 13% of the population, I mean, we should make up damn near close to 13% of your corporation and your senior leadership team, like at least that much, right? Like because Mm -hmm. your team should be representative of the country that you're serving. So if you are selling anything all over this country, then your team should be representative of the country. And if you're not making real 
like real strides towards that, if you're not in, investing real resources in that, then anything you post about standing with the Black community just, I think, is going to fall on deaf ears. And I think that's exactly why Sharon started this, you know, pull up or shut up hashtag, because it's like, look, I don't want to just see your Black tile on Instagram. I want to see the Black people in your executive leadership team. That's what I want to see, because then I'll know you do stand with us. Then I'll know you do care about us. You care about the fact that I'm releasing products for Black people, so I got to have some Black people here in, in my, <laughs> you know, like in my boardroom. Um, so I I think any company that's not committed to that um, will and should see their, you know, their revenue start to decrease. But I that to me is one place where, where I'd start. Yeah. Um, one place where I would start, and this is taking that and going more granular, like very detailed, hire more people of color in your marketing and product development teams. Like, my God, <laughs> if we had to wear one more ashy foundation, ashy lipstick, like clearly no one, sunscreen that doesn't work, like my goodness, mm-hmm. like why we have to walk around looking like Boo Boo the Fool, but everybody else doesn't <laughs> seems ridiculous in the year 2020. And so like have more programs, um, creating pipelines for people of color, Indian women, black women, like our skin is so different. Hispanic women have more pipelines for people of color going from chemistry degrees to the product development at these major beauty corporations, literally these global billion dollar companies, each and every one of them could have that program and literally be training a beauty chemist to come work for them. And there are many, many brands like that is such a softball. It seems ridiculous that someone's even saying it. And I think the same way in marketing. I mean, the number of Instagram posts or tweets that have completely flopped and they're looking around like, I didn't know. We didn't know that was insensitive. (laughs) Hire somebody that's going to tell you it's insensitive. Like some of these things are so obvious. You have to assume they just don't want to do them because the answer is so clear. Hire people that aren't white to do the things you don't know how to do. Period. And there's a lot of things I think companies are realizing or certainly customers are realizing that these companies just can't do it all everywhere well when they don't have that expertise. So hire the people with expertise. That sounds like very sound advice. And I would agree with that. (laughs) Um, I guess last question for you guys. You know, you mentioned that you have a lot coming up in the next couple of months. You're obviously in the thick of it right now. Your retail partnership coming up. You know, when you think about the rest of this year, you know, it's been a wild one as it is, you know, are you thinking about acquisition? Are you thinking about partnering with, you know, a bigger fund? What's on your radar? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, look, I think to Amanda's point about building wealth, we have to be open to all forms of partnership opportunities, exit opportunities, like to, to just be closed closed off from anything, I think would not make us good business owners and certainly would not make us um, good, uh, you know, stewards of, of this business. Um, that said, right now, our focus is on continuing to build the brand and continuing mm-hmm. to serve our customer um, and that's going to be our focus probably for a long time. You know, I just, but I do think we're open to different partnership opportunities because we, because we have to be, I mean, I think any indie brand, indie business 
would not be doing their duty if they didn't stay open to opportunities that would allow them to grow more quickly or reach bigger audiences or expand internationally or, you know, make their supply chain more efficient. All the things that things like acquisition are supposed to do, you you as a business owner want to be open to that. But right now, I would say it's not our focus. Unless the deal's really good, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Money talks. <laughs> thank you guys so much for being here with me. It was great having you. Yeah, thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe. See you next week.